0: Welcome to Teacher's Lounge, I'm Peter Medlin, and this is the podcast where we tell the story of education through the eyes of educators. Educators, by the way, who you recommend, so if you want to feel like an executive producer of this show, send us an email and recommend a teacher in your life. You can send that to at niu.edu, and you can also send some topic suggestions if you got those too. This week's guest is 7th grade language arts teacher Justin Sajcek, aka The Last wordbender. You heard that right. This is coincidentally our second music episode in a row. Uh, Justin is a rapper and spoken word artist from Rockford. He's also been in a few freestyle rap battles, which of course we talk about quite a bit.
1: That was the moment where I was really concerned about my students seeing it. And maybe more than my students, I was really concerned about maybe a parent or a colleague that didn't understand it seeing it. So so I kept it kind of, I kept it kind of on the low. And uh, I didn't promote it a lot. Sure enough, the weekend after it was released, I think it was released on a Friday or Saturday. Monday, I walk into school and my direct supervisor uh, comes up to me and he says, hey, man, I saw your battle. You killed him. You killed him. (laughs) I was like, oh, my goodness, you know. And I I was like kind of worried for worried for nothing, I guess.
0: You might be thinking, wait, did did he say the last word bender like Like Avatar, The Last Airbender, like that TV show, that cartoon? Oh yes, yes I did, and we do discuss that. But we talk about so much more from teaching in the very building that he went to middle school to coronavirus learning challenges, and we go deep on his hip-hop career and his musical influences. And he's going to play one of his songs at the end of the show. Don't worry, stay tuned for that. All right, well, before we get to Justin, there's a story that I've been wanting to tell really since the start of this whole coronavirus situation, and really when we started realizing that it was going to have a major impact on our day-to-day lives. For me, and for a lot of people around the country, I'd imagine, it really sunk in the night of March 11th. That's when Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for COVID-19, and the NBA suspended its season. Sports are really important to me and to my family, and they always have been, so when school and events started getting canceled, once again, I thought of sports, but not professional sports. I thought of those student-athletes who were going to lose their seasons, for some of them their senior year and maybe their last shot to play, so we're living through the first spring without sports that anyone can remember, so I spoke to some high school athletes and coaches about their lost season. Running is more than exercise, it's therapy. That's what Jonah Garcia says. So he's training now harder than ever. Garcia is a senior distance runner on Auburn High School's track and field team in Rockford. Like so many spring athletes, Jonah had his final high school season stolen by the COVID-19 pandemic. He says he was feeling good about the season and had personal records he figured he could easily break. I was hoping
2: to go on E1 and maybe try and get a scholarship based off of my time this year.
0: But luckily, this isn't the end for Garcia. He'll be running at Iowa Central Community College next year. And running and talking to his coaches and teammates has been a salve, he says, as his high school journey winds down in the most unpredictable way possible. Basically, people are saying just something along the lines of control that which you can control. Many spring athletes aren't continuing to the collegiate level. They took their last swings and ran their last lap without knowing it. Neil Bertram says he had a hard time holding it together when he found out games would be canceled. He's been the baseball coach at Rockford Lutheran for 35 years. So we were in the middle of practice and um, kind of was stunned when I got the message. It's a bit harder to keep practicing baseball in quarantine. Bertram hopes it's at least bringing families closer and giving his players time to reflect. They've had a chance to maybe play catch more with their dad. Or maybe they've had time to watch old games and appreciate the history of their sport while current pro games are canceled. Cyrus Wimberly has been sending his players training drills from YouTube. He's the baseball coach at Jefferson High School in Rockford. The Jayhawks had just handed out uniforms and taken teen pictures when the news rolled out.
2: The train was getting ready to get going. You know, we were getting ready for the season to start.
0: Now, he knows the IHSA tournaments are canceled, but he's still wondering if he and his team should hold on to hope that there could be games of some kind this summer. It's not clear yet The
2: communication you know like been a little it's been a little off and on but you know it's that's what's going on in the world right now
0: many schools are figuring out ways to honor their seniors they participate in the lights for the fight initiative every friday night schools turn on their lights at the athletic field to show support for senior athletes as well as essential workers and first responders Katie Barnett is the girls' soccer coach at Guilford High School in Rockford. Their players all got team jackets, and the Vikings handed out yard signs, too. We had probably the most talent coming into this season that we've had in as long as I can remember. Barnett says she struggled with how much hope she should give her team about possible games. Both Barnett and Neil Bertram say they didn't want to overwhelm their teams while the students have their e-learning to work on, too. So, Barnett says she's talked to her girls over texts and given them lighthearted reminders of where the season would be. You know, when we play Freeport, I'm like, eat a bag of pretzels today. They've also been virtually celebrating college signings on their team. Olivia Zedeker is one of the seniors. She'll also be playing soccer at the next level. It was definitely heartbreaking. Now it's like I'm letting go of that part of me without like a proper goodbye, if that makes sense. Zedeker says she and her friends on the team have instead tried to focus on the good times over the last three years of soccer. While the IHSA hasn't made any official changes to fall sports, it's something athletic directors like Rockford's Matt Parker are considering. There certainly could be significant provisions in place to have smaller crowds and smaller audiences. Those measures mirror proposals of what professional sports could look like when they come back. Parker says he and his colleagues are thinking about what games they could televise or stream online if large groups are still prohibited. Cyrus Wimberly at Jefferson is thinking about the day he and his team gets to step back onto the diamond. He says they won't take it for granted.
2: And I think that's how athletes should approach every game is, hey, this is my last game, you know, because again, some kids, some high school kids, they might not get that chance.
0: And he says whenever that game comes, even if it's just an ordinary high school exhibition for the team, it's going to feel like the Super Bowl. Okay, so my conversation with Justin did run a little bit long, but it was so much fun that I want you to hear the entire thing. So, with that being said, we're going to skip the traditional news roundup and jump right into my conversation with Justin Sycheck, a.k.a. the last word bender himself. You know what's funny is that maybe like 10 episodes ago on this show, I interviewed uh, Maurice Davis. I interviewed the the principal of West. Okay. And, and that was, and it, one of the things that, I'll tell you about this, Justin, one of the things that struck me about that is that he, you know, is the principal of West, and then he's also from that neighborhood, and you also, like, went to West, too, right? Yes, sir. Yep, yeah, I went to West Middle School as well. So there's, like, a tradition of these, like, Rockford kids growing up and being like, I want to stick around and teach in this neighborhood, which I think is awesome and, like, super specific to that area, too, right?
1: I, I can only speak for uh, West specifically uh, because that's where most, most of my knowledge base is. But I think it is a unique school in that sense that there's a high level of fond nostalgic feelings towards that school specifically. And um, a lot of people who work there have a history there as students, either when it
0: was a high school or when it was a middle school. Why do you think that it, is? It the school? Is it the neighborhood? Like, what is your best guess?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I imagine I would need a little more in depth history of of Rockford's history to know like why that school specifically. Yeah. You know, I think prior to it being prior to it being closed down as a high school, I think it was probably the most naturally integrated high school in rockford illinois especially when you talk about racial and ethnic integration i think it was the most naturally integrated and i think that specific characteristic of of that high school and and that history i think that may constri- contribute to some of those um some of the fondness
0: may, maybe yeah but you're from that rock are you born and raised rockford then i am yeah yep born and raised in rockford There you go. Yeah, because I noticed too, I mean, going quick over to your music, I saw that, you know, when I was on your website, I think the name of your, it was your second album was called Rumble in the Rock, right? And that's, that's so off the top, Justin, I had to ask your your hip hop name. Can you say it really quick? The Last Word Bender. Are you a big avatar guy or is it just a dope name? I'm a huge avatar fan. Okay, because I was like, either way, if it's just a dope name, then it's just a dope name. But if there is like, a, if he's a big Avatar fan, then like, I'm not gonna not ask about that. Yes,
1: yes, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Avatar: The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Uh, I own all the DVDs. Um, I own all the
0: comic books. No way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> so, how long have you been? How long have you been rapping under that name? So, so, I mean, like I've been rapping since
1: I was a kid, but like as, as far as actually like going places and performing and um, that started when I was an adult, when I was old enough to go to the bars and go to open mics and, uh, and stuff like that. So that, that would be, shoot, about 12 years now. Yeah? Yeah, about 12 years that I've been pursuing music and like actually writing, recording, going to, to shows and stuff
0: like that. That's awesome, man. You know, I'm curious about when, was that in school for you in like writing, like literature classes or poetry when you first kind of figured out that, you, like when did you, when did you first learn that you had bars, Justin?
1: <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, I think uh, developing a passion for rapping and having bars, I think those occurred at two separate times. <laughs> I, I, I think I had the passion for it before I had the bars. But um, I, uh, you know, going back to, My connection to West Middle School specifically, you know, I remember being as young as seven, eight years old and um, just like being at my boombox and listening to music and writing down the lyrics and like, you know, fast forwarding and rewinding the songs to write the lyrics down, memorizing songs. But the first time I performed one of my own raps publicly was in my seventh grade language arts class at West Middle School. And, Do you remember what it was called? Uh, it was, uh, yes, yep. It was a rap of a book report on a biography of Will Smith. And uh, I was in Mrs. Portis' 7th uh, grade English Language Arts class, and I had read this biography of Will Smith. You know, this is back in, uh, this is back in 1999. So Will Smith is Dwayne Johnson back in 1999, you know. It's a big, big deal. style. He's a big, big deal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, since, since he was a rapper, I, I thought, well, why don't I write a rap as my book report? You know, so I got to class. I, I think I thought I was just going to turn this paper with the rap on it in. Um, but Mrs. Portis is a artist herself and a big proponent of arts integrated education. So once she found out that I had written this rap, you know, I wasn't going to leave the classroom without performing it. And, uh, her reaction, it, it was a terrible rap, by the way. That's why I say the passion came before the bars. But um, her her reaction to it and just her encouragement is what inspired me to uh, just really, uh, you know, think, think that I can record music one day and I could like, quote unquote, be a rapper one day. And um, that, you know, her passion is also what inspired me to be a language arts teacher. So I am a 7th grade language arts teacher at West Middle School right now, and that's not a coincidence. That was the single most impactful moment of my education, and I think I gravitated back towards that as a result.
0: You've come full circle. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm sure that's something you think about a lot now, right, is the people that are in your classes now are in that same position that you were in then and trying to make those impressions and, and, you know, give people that sort of feeling.
1: Yeah, you know, I think a lot about, more so than any of the specific activities or lessons that Mrs. Portis did with us in that classroom, I think about the way that she made us feel. I think about the way that that classroom felt, and I strive for that myself in my own classroom. Like, I want my classroom to feel like Mrs. Portis's classroom. I want my students to feel the way I felt when I was in her classroom. So that's definitely a a North Star for me, so to speak.
0: Yeah, you know, for sure. And, And, you know, bringing it full circle, too, are the kids in your class, are they generally aware that you do music, too?
1: Yes. You know, as I've gotten older and gotten more mature, as I've gotten more confident in myself, I've become more open to share that part of my life with the students You know, my love for language arts, for reading and writing definitely uh, originates in my love for rap music. So those things are like inextricably um, intertwined for me personally. So I know to really reach the peak of my passion for my subject area, I have to integrate those things into my classroom so that my students can feel that passion.
0: Right, yeah, there's, there's a level of authenticity that I feel like is just kind of intuitive for kids, right?
1: Yeah, kids are the truest lie detectors when it comes to authenticity, right? So, yeah. um, And I think this is all just the process of maturing is, you know, who I am as a teacher, who I am as an artist, who I am as a, a husband and a friend and a son. Like, all of those things are becoming more consistent from from setting to setting. And, and I think that's a measure of living more authentically, right? And becoming more comfortable in your own skin and um, and maturity. I think it's a sign of maturity.
0: Yeah. The person that nominated you, and I'm not sure if, if they told you who it was or if I told you already. But I, I don't
1: know who, who nominated me. So.
0: I forget what their name is, but I can tell you afterwards. But one of the things okay. that they talked yeah. about is that, like, Justin really focuses on and is really good at making material feel, like, relevant. And I was wondering if that's something that you consciously think about.
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, just what you described is just kind of a natural extension of being an active member of my community, of, you know, really viewing teaching as an act of care, you know, and an act of love within my community. And um, I think, when you're able to keep that lens on, so to speak, when you look at the profession, that then your actions in the classroom will unfold authentically, like every lesson has to come from a place of caring right and a place of love and um and, and I think if it does, it will be authentic
0: yeah and and it definitely makes sense with I mean even specifically the tradition around West when you're talking about seeing your school as, as more than, you know, the four borders of the classroom as a part of the larger community that people actually live in?
1: Yeah, like, I, I think it's critical. I, I think it's critical in a lot of professions. I think it's inescapable as a teacher to really view teaching as, as an extension of just being an involved community member.
0: How have you been looking and thinking about that through the perspective of trying to do all this e-learning and, and doing everything online.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's kind of wild. Um, You know, RPS 205 had a massive ransomware attack to begin the 2019-2020 school year. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. So during that period of time, we were completely without technology. Like, we had to go back to pencil and paper attendance taking. And not even, you know, six months later... We're completely without a physical space for our school and we're entirely digital. So at least for for most of us, there's no precedent for this, right? So we're all Mm -hmm. kind of figuring it out and uh, we're not getting real clear top-down guidance as to, um, and not speaking about the school district specifically, but looking more from like our national leaders, we're not getting real clear top-down guidance of what this should look like Um, or even real clear top-down assurance that everything's going to be okay, right? So the necessity to make sure your actions are still personal and your actions are still coming from a place of care and love and concern. And I think um, during this time, a lot of families and a lot of students, they need that care first before instruction even becomes a concern. And I think that that's the way we should always approach education. And that's the way we should have been approaching it for a long time. But there's so much distraction and there's so much static that gets in the way of keeping love and keeping care at the center of your actions as an educator.
0: Right it's just like a you know you get wrapped up in the daily grind of it all and then when your daily grind explodes <laughs> and, you know maybe now we have a little bit of time to gather some perspective on what it was like before.
1: I, I, I think definitely I, th- I think this is a huge opportunity to gain perspective right. And, yeah. and I agree, I think, you know, I, I refer to them a lot as distractions, right? Those distractions, they come from bureaucracy, they come from politics, they come from, well, this is the way we've always done it, right? They come from fear, you know? Um, they come from simply being overwhelmed at the weight of the expectations placed upon you. It is hard to, to just pause sometimes and, and just really think, all right, in this moment, what's the most fundamentally important thing for the student and for the family?
0: Yeah. Are there any moments that have stood out to you during e-learning, trying to communicate, trying to stay in touch with your students, anything like that that's really stood out to you so far?
1: Yeah. My e-learning experience so far has been characterized by being able to provide really individualized and really high quality feedback to Um, the students that are participating regularly. And it's simply that I have more time, right? I have more time to provide that really high quality feedback on a really regular basis. The flip side of that is some of that time is coming from the fact that not everybody on my roster is participating on a regular, regular basis. So what comes with that is concern, you know, concern about you know, the needs of the students, the needs of the family, whether or not the school is meeting those needs adequately at this time, whether or not I'm meeting those needs adequately as a teacher at this time.
0: Yeah, because I mean, on a certain level, if people like aren't participating regularly or responding, it only adds to the, you know, like you said, is there is there something more I could be doing? Is there something more the district needs to be doing? Is there some sort of technology barrier? Are there some sort of issue at home? And I'm sure that's really tough to have to deal with or have to, you know, consider.
1: Definitely. They weren't taking technology home with them. Um, So so many schools are at or close to a one-to-one technology ratio for students, but the students weren't taking that tech home. So when they left the last day before spring break, they didn't go home with devices. And so- after we found out that this was going to be a long time, the district had to set in place plans to get students technology, and I know that's been a struggle. I just can- communicated with one of my students today uh, who still doesn't have a district-issued device, and they're doing everything on their phone, and they're saying, you know, I can do it, but it's challenging, and it takes a long time. Um, so I-, I know there's students who I'm not even communicating with regularly who are having that same experience.
0: Yeah, I know that in a lot of districts, it's a problem where, you know, they'll have surveys at the beginning of the year being like, does everyone have laptops at home? Does everyone have internet access at home? And they'll say, yeah, we have internet access. But what they really mean is that they have a cell phone with a, a data plan on there, which is just, it's it's not this, like I said, it's feasible, I guess, right. but it's definitely not ideal and extremely difficult. Right. I'm just curious too, you know, having to go through all this, is there... Anything that, what is the biggest adjustment that you've made?
1: Because I'm not seeing them in person, I've gotten really critical about the way I'm presenting information to them and how organized that information is. And I would say without a doubt, the manner in which I'm presenting information is increasing in organization because of this experience. So so that's a, a huge positive for me. Is that um,
0: something that you think you could that kind of uh, organization, is that something that you can bring back with you after this is all over? Or got is it just to. a completely different experience?
2: No, got
1: to. I You know, when you're at a school and when you're working with kids, especially the immediacy of interacting with kids on a daily basis in your work environment overrides everything else, you know? So so we we would all love to have um, these ultra-organized classrooms, but you know, you're working, you got a thousand kids in your building, and, and the immediacy of those interactions often takes precedent over any organization plans you had. You have um, to be
0: meeting them where they're at. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so
1: it's, it's definitely something, you know, that I have to bring back to the classroom whenever we get back
0: there. How has the quarantine affected your creativity in general? Do you feel more or less like inspired to create art or does it kind of just ebb and flow with the days?
1: You know, I can't say this is directly related to the quarantine because I actually started this prior to the quarantine. The last decade of my life was really characterized by post-secondary education pursuits. Right. So like, you know, I finished my bachelor's degree. Um, I finished two master's degrees. And so I was creating during that time. I was recording music. Um, all of my albums were recorded during that time, but but really, like the music was an extra thing. So when I graduated from when I graduated with my second master's this past December, I made a resolution for myself to really bring music back to the forefront of my life um, in a way that I hadn't been able to do in a long time. So I had been rapping every day. Um, I had been writing regularly. I had been doing all that before the quarantine started. I would say the first week or so of the quarantine, that that whole schedule got kind of thrown off by just like the uncertainty and confusion of like what is all this and like uh, we got to go buy some toilet paper and uh, you know <laughs> someone
0: um, get some Purell in here, please. Right, right. We yeah. you know
1: we got to make sure our, our parents and and my grandma are okay and just, just like all of that. Uh, but. Kind of after those first two weeks when things settled down a little bit, and I was like, okay, time to get back to to uh, my creative pursuits. Um, I, I rap every day. I had been able to bring that to the classroom in a way that I had never done before this year in so? in some fun ways. Um, I found some students who really like to freestyle, and yeah, uh, so we had done we were doing like weekly freestyle sessions I, on Fridays at, at lunchtime. So uh it it was uh it was a lot of fun uh kind of take things out of an immediate like academic context and and just pursue something that you're all really interested in.
0: Have we had any any zoom freestyles? Have we had any uh, is there a way to do that right now during quarantine? Is there a way to integrate that into your teaching still?
1: I'm doing my first zoom conference with my students tomorrow and uh I'm really excited about that. So Uh, yeah we'll see we'll see the students love to share their writing um they love to be creative and uh so i would really like to bring that to the digital platform you know as a middle school teacher uh i've been trying to keep in mind that all of my students have five other teachers right and so i've been (laughs) trying i've been trying to uh be really reasonable in my expectations for them and not overwhelm them or their parents with uh With the in-person meetings, so, but definitely before the end of the school year, I want to do something creative with the kids.
0: That's awesome. You know, it's funny, I was even thinking about this way, like, in middle school and high school, you know, obviously I'm in journalism, so writing and all that is something that's really near and dear to me, too, and really vital to what I do, and I'm trying to think, and I was like, I don't really remember having a lot of teachers growing up within, like, English and language arts, that I saw as, like, creative people that I, like, knew were writers, or like, knew were doing writing or making things of their own, and I just thought of, I was like, that is, that is really cool, because I had never even considered that as, like, oh, was your sixth grade English teacher, what did she like to write about? I'm like, I have no idea, I have no idea. <laughs>
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I think it's so... I think it's so critical, you know, I think it's so critical for the students to know you love what you're doing, right? And even if a student is sitting in my class and they're more they're more scientifically minded or they're more numeracy minded or they're more um, athletically minded or, or more inclined towards the visual arts and, and they're like, wow, this guy really loves words. I don't think I'm ever going to love words that much, but this guy really loves them, you know? I hope that they can at least get that much from it, you know? But also, like, I really think when we look at language arts, right? When we look at reading, writing, speaking, listening, these are things that can have very direct and very immediate impacts on our social-emotional health and the health of the relationships in our lives, right? And so, you know, the focus of K-12 education is so college and career ready right now. And Mm -hmm. I think that does a disservice to the students in so many ways, especially to the students that are not seniors in high school. I try to help my students understand that the things that we're working on in this classroom can have direct and immediate impacts on how happy you are, how healthy you are, and the quality of your relationships. And I know that because I do it.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I get a little bit bristly, even just at the idea, and I understand why it's necessary, I understand why people do it, of putting people at a young age on a very hyper-specific track, and because I, I just know from my own experience that even through high school, and even like, you know, I went to community college for two years, and that experience of you know, the liberal arts and being able to experiment and find things that I really love doing. And I just like, there was like a semester in community college where I was taking like local and state government and Shakespeare acting. And I was like, that was unbelievable. That was exactly what I needed at that time. And like trying to explore different areas of creativity. I feel like both of those really had a lot of influence on like who I am and what I do now.
1: That, that's, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because my experience with community college was very similar. Um, you no know, I. I had the opportunity to play, um, to play soccer for my college. I had an opportunity to, because I was working full time, I was working in community centers. I was working at the YMCA. Even before I knew I wanted to be a teacher, I was doing education related things and Yeah, as I got to the end of my uh, my associate's degree, I was I just kept taking classes I was interested in, you know, Um, and that was such a crazy experience and uh, really helped me to develop the love for learning that I try to bring into my profession as a teacher. Like that really developed in college, in
0: community college specifically. 100% with you. And also save myself like $40,000. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. <laughs>
1: and then when I got to, you know, my undergraduate isn't even in education, right? Right. So by the time I actually got to deciding that I wanted to be a teacher, I had already had so much work experience in education related fields that like, I know I benefited from that in my college classes and then in the early years of teaching as well.
0: Yeah, man, and I'm really happy that you brought up organically your freestyling because <laughs> I had to, one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was I had seen that you had done some some rap battling. Yeah. And, you know, listen, we've all seen 8 Mile. We, we, this is something we all think about. And I just have so many questions about what that experience is like, like how much of it is pre-written how much are you improvising how much is completely freestyle how much are you interacting with the person you're going against before you battle like just just give me an education on, on this really quick justin yeah I,
1: I love this question okay so um so i've been rapping for a long time um i've done i've done two rap battles like officially like sanctioned, sanctioned battles battle so to speak <laughs> um so for for me in my early experience with rap battle my entire verses were pre-written, rehearsed, um, practiced, and the two guys I was uh, battling were much more experienced. So I know some of their stuff was like off the top. uh, And I know some of their stuff was more spontaneous. For me, it wasn't. Um, And uh, I I think that speaks to experience and comfort and everything. Like, um, I think the, the good MCs, the good battlers will come in with at least a good portion of their rounds prepared and at least a good idea of what they're going to say and how to approach it. Mm -hmm. And then the great battlers will be able to improvise and spontaneously add to what they had prepared. And I wouldn't put myself in that great category yet. I have some work to do before I get to get to that. But uh, battling was, was something I was really hot. I was really happy to finally get on my resume Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I really came, I really came up in open mics and spoken word, open mics to be specific before I even started rapping. Um, and then freestyle ciphers. So I had just made it really far in my music experience without having to battle. And so by the time I battled, I already had a good support system built up and a good idea of how to approach the performance aspect of it. Um, that was the moment. Where I was really concerned about my students seeing it, and maybe more than my students, I was really concerned about maybe a parent or a colleague that didn't understand it seeing it. And uh, so, so I kept it kind of, uh, I kept it kind of on the low, and uh, I didn't promote it a lot. Sure enough, uh, the weekend after it was released, I think it was released on a Friday or Saturday. Monday I walk into school and my direct supervisor, uh, comes up to me and he says, Hey man, I saw your battle. You killed him. You killed him. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my goodness. You know? Um, and I, I was like kind of worried for worried for nothing, I guess. Um, but, but, you know, I think you can't take for granted that, you know, um, you know, some parents may be more conservatively minded or I think it's something you got to be conscious of. But, the uh, feeling of just being in the battle and having the having my crowd with me and my friends with me and that was an amazing feeling one of the guys i battled i knew before and so i had met him before had a lot of respect with him uh yeah. had, had a lot of respect for him and and so that was pretty comfortable um the other guy i hadn't met before uh but he was a super cool guy I always say that rap battles are more laid back than, uh, than poetry slams. Um, like, <laughs> there's, uh, there, there's less shade and less pettiness involved in a rap battle than, uh, than in a poetry slam. Uh poets are very emotional creatures. Right? <laughs> Poet, poets are highly emotional people. And I, I think, uh, you know, at a rap battle, it's, it's just a lot more fun. And, um, it's just like everybody's there to rap, and you kind of like it's like a sport, you know. And you you just kind of leave it all on the court, so to speak. And once we step outside of those lines, there's no hard feelings. I
0: love it. All right, Justin, I have two more questions for you. Sure. One of the one of them hip hop related. One of them education related. All right. Which one Which one do you want to end on?
1: Uh, let's go with the. Uh, let's end on the education one.
0: Okay, that's where I was gonna go anyway. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that. Okay, so for Rappers, obviously, but just hip-hop fans in general, the big question is your top five, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to make you answer that question right now. I know that's, that's something that you, there's a lot of deliberation, a lot of spreadsheets trying to work through that. However, you know, I've listened to some of your music, of course, doing some research for this interview. I hear you reference some, some rappers, and so I'm like, maybe these, that means that he's a big fan. I've seen you reference Chance a couple times, seen you reference Andre 3000, people like that. Are the who are who is who is the Mount Rushmore for you? Who are the big ones that that stand out? Is it Chance with the you know the Illinois connection, the independent spirit? Um, just talk to me. Yeah, bro.
1: I I appreciate how much research you've done, and uh, I appreciate you you know really taking the time to listen to to that music. Chance releasing Acid Rap was a really special moment. You know, I knew people in Chicago at that time that were in those circles um, that put me onto him. And I knew that moment was coming kind of before it came. And when it came, it was just like really special for that energy, for like, I guess, a true protege of Kanye's style um, to come and put out this project that was so Chicago As as an optimist, just like so optimistic, so positive, so... And, and I know there was a lot of paranoia and pain in that project, too. Um, I mean,
0: literally a song called Paranoia. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Um, but but just to hear it from Chance's perspective, that was just like such a breath of fresh air that, you know, I don't think I had felt since the first time I heard Kanye West rap, you know. So uh, that was a special moment. Andre, Outkast, uh, I, I argue that Outkast is the greatest American musical act of all time. Uh, Really? I I know I'm speaking very generationally because, you know, I think maybe if I was born a decade earlier, I I would give that spot to Prince. But for me and for, you know, my experience, it was Outkast, right? And uh, Jay-Z, my all-time greatest MC, he's he's number one in my top five. Um, Kanye, of course, Common um, from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Wu-Tang Clan recently. um, Ghostface Killer. um, Method Man. Is uh, hu- Method Man is hugely influential um, to to my style. Uh, I have a picture of Method Man in my living room.
0: Andre 3000, he just had a song last year with Anderson Pack that I listened to, and I was like, "Oh my God!" Andre 3000 still has it. I was like, "Oh my!" I was I was blown away by it. Yeah, it's
1: amazing how he can um, drop a verse out of nowhere, and he sounds like he's been you know rapping every single day for the past decade.
0: All right, well, the last one, and this is more open-ended, what, and I'm, I've got a low battery signal, so this is like perfect timing. Okay. <laughs> the most, and this doesn't, ha- you might have answered this throughout the course of the interview, but what is one of the great lessons you've learned about being an educator over the last decade or so?
1: So I, I really try to let the thought of what is best for the students and what is most beneficial to the students at this time in this place be my guiding force and as a young teacher it's very easy to get distracted and pressured to prioritize other things Um, but for every teacher out there do what you feel is right for the students and be brave enough and courageous enough to do that
0: all right awesome well thanks so much justin we got there right in the nick of time (laughs) yeah let's just let's just outro man thanks so much for for coming on hey
1: thank you i appreciate the opportunity
0: Right, and before we get out of here, here is The Last Wordbender and his song, Adrian. Yeah, this the victory lap.
2: We did it, Brick Rock. Survive the rumble. Thank you for fighting with us. For being in our corner. It's The Last Wordbender. Kept my soul intact, can't nobody take that. I get a lot of love, some people fake that. I spent some money that I'm hoping I can make back. But either way it come and go, can't nobody change that. I did it all for a dream. I did it all for a dream. I did it all for a dream. And in the end, I found a champion in me. In victory and defeat, they can never keep me down. I always end up on my feet. My own prophecy, I speak, and yeah, my gospel ain't stopping with the outcome in the ring. My grandma and my mama taught me how to be a G. My pops taught me how to work my hands until they bleed. My girl got my back, she about to have my seat, and she said that you'll always be a champion of me. City at my back, as I'm running through these streets. City got my back when I'm rapping on these beats. Standing on the steps, in the city's what I see. some life, know the city needs some hope, I know just like me that the city needs some growth, know the city need a dream, and know the city need a leader, hope the city look at me and the city see both, kept my soul intact, can't nobody take that, I get a lot of love, some people fake that, I spent some money that I'm hoping I can make back, but either way it come and go, can't nobody change that, I did it all for a dream, I did it all for a dream. I did it all for a dream, and in the end, I found a champion in me. In defeat and in victory, your character is always going to show itself eventually. That's why I keep it a century, so even in a hundred years, I'll say he was a legend. Be, be brave, be true. Be genuine in everything you do Cause to follow suit never was the move What you really try to prove What the world needs is you That's why I'm up before the city gets to yawning Handling this work While the competition snoring. I heard the early bird It's the fortune I don't know about that But ain't no way I'm taking losses And when I do it Did it my way Wear the belt Across my shoulder sideways And hold my head up high Cause I stepped inside the ring to face the rumble and survive kept my soul intact. Can't nobody take that. I get a lot of love. Some people fake that. I spent some money that I'm hoping I can make back. But either way it come and go. Can't nobody change that. I did it all for a dream. I did it all for a dream. I did it all for a dream. And in the end I found a champion in me.
0: As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show and send your topic suggestions to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And if you remember, go ahead and subscribe, like us, share us, whatever you want to do. It really helps us grow our audience so we get even more cool perspectives and cool guests on here like Justin. And while I'm talking about it, a special thanks to Justin Sycheck, and thanks to the Rockford Area Band kindos for the awesome interstitial music on the show. I have been your host, Peter Medlin. I will be back with more Teachers Lounge very soon.